Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simonchov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Coming to you live, unless you're listening to this later on on podcast, uh, live from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, Jerusalem, the holy city, capital T. Um, we have had some weeks of turmoil and Funny, before, this is our pre-Pesach show, Pesach, Passover. So much to talk about, so much to intuit, so much to share, so much to mull and muse and consider together. And like so much in this electronic age, this age of vulgarity, this age of wokeism, this holy period has been not just somewhat, but grossly hijacked, certainly the last few weeks in Israel. And if I tell you how many um, WhatsApps and messages and Facebook um, SMSs I receive, tell us what's going on, tell us what's going on. And I thought to myself, how do we approach this program today? Do I address it? Do I talk about this phenomenal pilug a chasm in Israeli society? Do I talk this morning about the astronomical magic we conducted in airing our animus to one another? Jews, Jews who have been reviled since the beginning of time by enemies too numerous and too repulsive to mention. We didn't need them this week, this week, last week. Nobody does ugly better than we do ourselves. The shame of it all. Erev Pesach at the foot of Passover. The Chag, the holiday that those of us who see Torah as the blueprint of not just our personal lives, spread the circle, our familial lives, spread the circle, our communal lives, spread it wider, the international and eternal life. And we don't get to talk about it. The ugly. The ugly. We will bring this. I will pull it all back into holy. I promise you, because I need it. And I'm making a rude assumption. I'm assuming that all of us struggling to be good partners, good children, good parents, good friends, good community members, need that kiss of holy, need the kiss of purity, need the kiss of cleanliness. So let's try and hopefully by the end of this hour, we will once again be humble and clean and stand at the foot of this holy season, ready to receive the memory, not the bounty, but the memories of who we are. We have listening in today, this morning, we have friends from this morning, 
<laughs> Good night, Lila Tov. It's uh, the U.S. is listening in. Indonesia is with us this morning. Bokatov Eretz Israel. Australia is with us, and of course. Canada. By the way, I do want to, I make a lot of Canadian jokes and I hope that you guys know that it's all in good nature. I had a wonderful um, client yesterday who's Canadian and we were swapping Canadian <laughs> jokes back and she was funnier than I was. And now suddenly this morning I went blank. Next week, not next week because next week is Pesach. Next week will be the morning after the Seder. We will all be very tired and very filled with matzah. But the week after, please God, we all try to remember some of my Canadian jokes. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to tune in, to listen, and to form some of your own thoughts and indeed share them with me. Let's get rid of some of the ugly business today. You know, I had clients all this week and several clients um, needed to leave. They needed to get her because I had to make the bus because I had to get to the next demonstration. And a few of them, I asked them, please explain to me what is, what is so terrible about this judicial reform? And I asked it, in a way that they, of course, everybody knows, it's no secret where I stand generally, politically, if we have to go into a repulsive arena. And, um, but I really was asking, and if I tell you, one of seven clients, one of seven clients had some information. The rest, I kid you not, said to me, I hate this government, I hate Bibi, Bibi's a dictator, um, time to bring down, it was, it was crazy, it was, it reminded me of some of the moratoriums I joined during the Vietnam War. And I really, a lot of the times I didn't even understand the issues I was looking to meet boys. This is what it felt like. It was a party. It was a chagiga. I'm sure that there were some deeply sincere people who claimed to love Israel. But do not love God's children. I remember, you know, I had a, a teacher once who said to me, if you really love someone, you really love someone, you love their children. And I remember everybody in this, it was a Torah class. There was like a, a low, a low caste chortle. We were going, oh my gosh, I have friends that I really do love, but not so crazy about their kids. What she really was saying is, it's a challenge. Love someone, want for someone the way you want for yourself and yours. Is that a song? Is that an Uncle Moishi rap? It's a difficult, difficult mitzvah, a commandment. And to love someone like you love yourself and love yours is very hard work because as long as we think that we are the center of the universe, I, me, and mine, and I stay secure in my Dalid Amos, my four walls, and I do not let other people's anguish, other people's pain, other people's sadness, other people's issues enter, seep through my porous space, hey, look at how holy I am. A Rabbi Galinsky, my husband's teacher, asked, why a minion? Why do we pray in a quorum? What is this quorum of 10 men business? You know, when I get down and I pray to God, I can take as long as I want. I can move as fast as I want. 
Aren't my alone prayers enough? And Magid Galinsky used an excellent, well, in my opinion, excellent example. If I want to go to Tel Aviv, I need to get to Tel Aviv. I can pay 400 shekels and take a cab and get to Tel Aviv. But if I don't have the money or I don't want to spend that money, or if it doesn't seem practical, I can take a bus for 10 shekels. But to be part of a group, or not but, to be part of a group, you just have to be good enough. The merits of others will help carry you. To be part of a group says, I get it. It infuses us with humility. By the way, there's a very lovely Torah principle that I try to incorporate when we drive, and this will help us in our inner city traffic. When we drive, when you see a bus going by, and the, or that bus is stopped, letting passengers on and off, you let that bus put those passengers on and off. You let the bus pass you. Because that bus, whether it has five people or 50 in it, is inherently more holy than you and your car because it very simply holds more souls. Someone posted uh, posted a lovely discussion on Facebook. And I, I'm, 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 a lot of today's show is going to be extrapolating. I extra, extrapolated brilliance, certainly not mine. And a friend of mine wrote, today we argue to destroy the other side. We don't care what they say. As long as we humiliate and eliminate them. In the Talmud, all these Torah studies, all these yeshiva bochers studying, they argue to reveal different sides of truth. Truth is not two-dimensional. Nobody's wrong. Both sides complement each other. We should be learning from those who study Torah. It's not an end game. Saw a scene in Tel Aviv, I think it was a week ago, after Shabbos, the kahila, the, 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 the congregation stood outside and they were blessing the new moon, a ceremony called Kiddush Levana. And across the street, protesters stood screaming, berating these religious Jews, berating them. This wasn't political. This had nothing to do with societal reform. They were praying and they said, it's because of you this country is torn apart. It's because of you. Whoa, whoa. We're entering the season of matzah. Humble, flat, modest. This is the time our egos should suppress and we should say at every moment, it ain't about me. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about this when I come back and, um, and talk about what are the things that we should be protesting that might unite us, might bring us together. Want to know your thoughts? Drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and I'll see you on the other side.
Okay, we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, yeah, thank you. I, you know, I frequently, I, <laughs> I frequently, frequently eat. Um, no, I frequently talk about how intensely personal this show is, feels to me. And I, I, I hope, I would love to, you know, I, I sort of hope that this connection that we make stranger brothers, brothers, strangers, is as meaningful or to those who are listening in. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, why wouldn't we care for one another? Just even if we have different points of view, to be able to listen to the other side. I think I mentioned on last week's show, years ago, they had a, uh, in the Jerusalem Post magazine. And, you know, Jerusalem Post, poor Jerusalem Post, it is like the target of everybody's rage. Oh, the world's worst newspaper. Oh, it's terrible. When this one is, it's so leftist. Oh, it's so rightist. It's just, it's, it's like the favorite punching bag. Anyway, they started a column many, many years ago, and it was called Voices, Voices from the Arab Press. And it was two pages facing one another. And it gleaned articles from various Arab publications that week. Uh, And it wasn't only about Israel and, let's say, our conflicts with the Arab world. A lot had to do with Arab industry and, and, and finance and things like that. It was very interesting. But I would never read it because whenever there would be any discussion of Israel and Arab attitudes towards Israel, I made assumptions and I didn't want to read it. It was upsetting to me. I didn't want to go there. And I must tell you, today, I, I really, forgive me, I you would think I haven't podcast. I really should read the newspaper. I rarely read the newspaper, but um, it's the first thing I turn to. I find it interesting. I find it fascinating. Um, I find that there's so much that we human creations created from the love of God have in common that there's nothing to be scared about as long as the train tracks run both ways. One of the clients, I go back, I just, before I get off, these clients are driving me nuts this week, especially, I'm going to protest. What are you protesting? I know, but I feel like a real Israeli. And one of these women was, I said to her, I said, when you made Israel, I asked her when she made Aliyah, she told me the year. And I said, when you made Aliyah, did you, did you take into consideration who the prime minister was? And she, she said to me, honestly, she said, no. I said, did you take into consideration the um, majority or minor- minority seats held by the left or the right? She said, not at all. I don't have a clue. We didn't make Aliyah because of something as superficial, something like an oil slick on the top of the water as temporary or temporal, is that the word? As a current man-made government, we made Aliyah because Israel, Eretz Yisrael, the only Jewish country from the creation of time, the only country, only Jewish country existing today, we made Aliyah because Israel. When I made Aliyah on July 5th, 1995, the then prime minister was the now assassinated Yitzhak Rabin. 
With one bullet, history was changed forever. And forgive me, not just because the prime minister was assassinated, but it did it a 180 degree turn on his legacy. The air of rage and civil war was so thick in the summer and autumn of 1995. It was a terrible time. Israel was being divvied up and given away piecemeal for an illusory, an illusory hope, dream of peace with those who were sworn to murder us. And at the helm was Yitzhak Rabin. Afterwards, after that awful day, he was he was the voice of peace, the the archetypical dove. We survived it. I made Aliyah to an Israel that had given up Yamit, the most beautiful community in the South. Beautiful. It was only a precursor to Gush Katif, to how we would be hacked away. Inviting love, inviting friendship, inviting kavod, respect from America. I made Aliyah to that Israel. Why? Because Israel. Somebody posted this week and said, Maybe if those pulling the strings to block the highways, shut the hospitals, close the airport, would also care enough to shut down the country after every terror attack, after shooting up a cafe in Tel Aviv, after bombing a bus in Ramot, after shooting up a kindergarten in Beersheba. Maybe our leaders would then be pressured to find a way to shut the villages, deport the perpetrators, institute a death penalty. Judicial reform? Please, I tell you now, it'll happen. It'll happen. Of course, like clockwork. Oh, like clockwork. What happened to my apolitical show? Something happened. <laughs> Something. This is my evil twin speaking. I promise you, it's not me. <laughs> and of course, like Quaggard, Jewish Democrats, those self-adoring Jews, those who are upholding Jewish values and will ensure the next generation and the next generation and the next generation of holy offspring of Avraham Avinu. What do they come out with? Surprise. We stand with Israeli protesters. Here's their concern. Is their concern for the, for children, brothers, adult brothers shot on the highway? For young children mowed down in their Shabbos finery? Kindergarten children learning to say Aleph Bet, Gimel Dalet Hey? Jewish Democrats are deeply concerned about the firing of Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. This was, comes from the Jewish Democratic Council of America. 
on Twitter. Yeah, there's where they are. Just this previous Monday. And the plan to move forward with legislation undermining the power of Israel's judiciary. How dare they? How dare you? And Joe Biden, that walking success story, has the chutzpah, the unmitigated gall to come out with, Israel can't continue this way. Netanyahu won't be invited to the White House. Well, boo who? In no uncertain terms, our beleaguered, besieged, deeply flawed prime minister responded, Israel's an independent country and doesn't answer to outside pressure. Knesset member, Ben Gvir, they draw him, they draw him in Nazi regalia. What did he say? He said, Israel is not another, not another star on the American flag. In America? You will lecture to us while race riots burn down entire streets? Presidents, vice presidents, Congress commit crimes and they don't go to jail? A man boasts about sexually abusing women, grabbing them by the crotch, and he becomes elected a president? You will... You will chastise us? What did we have? Five elections? Six elections? Four elections? Three years? In Israel, guns are all over the place. We're not shooting up schools. In Israel, a convicted prime minister, a president, Knesset members, they sat in jail. The list of differences of our problems, our moral differences coming from a Torah base says to me, hold back your condemnation. Sit humbly. Watch. And if you are Jewish and American and you are uncomfortable with what's going on in Israel, be quiet. Be quiet. When you come here and you pay the exorbitant taxes that we pay, when you put your sons and daughters into uniform to defend the only Jewish country on earth, that if not, but for our guns and the grace of God would not exist, you can come and you can protest and you can block traffic and you can shut down the hospitals. But don't dare lecture us. Keep your thoughts to yourself. Your house is on fire, America. And American Jews, your children are under siege and they look to you. Don't confuse issues to take the spotlight off of you. My name is Andrea, and guess what? I'll see you on the other side.
Okay, we're back. We're back. I'm so back. Andrea Simmons, Joe, pull up a chair. Israel News Talk Radio dot com. Really, there's so much holiness, and we're all together, part of it, by the grace of Israel News Talk Radio. Um, have coffee. Not for a change. Every morning, well, pretty much every morning, except when I when I do a show, I don't often have time to have coffee with my husband. Something I'd like to change, because um, I get very nervous. You know, you want to make sure that the the show has meaning. The things that are important to you somehow resonate with others. Uh, when I get mail during the week, I you know once in a while toss it back out for your thoughts. And one of the things that we had discussed, which was so shocking. Um, you know, how is it that we see things so differently? Some of my best friends, my dearest friends, really, and I, I consider this a great achievement of my life, that after 120 years, when I go back home to Hashem, into God's arms, I pray that those who see me off are not just, quote, my kind. I want to know that there were people who had more of a left of center view than I did. People of different religions, people of different um, socioeconomic. I want to think that my life, our lives, intersect with one another. But the one central holiness is that we are all God's children. Oh, good morning, Madagascar. So happy you're with me. And I said, what is the difference? Why are we not hearing each other? Why are we not hearing each other? Why are we not reading the voices of the Arab press, the voices of the Madagascar press, the voices of the northern community, the Canadian press? Why are we not hearing how the other thinks and not coming down with our gavel and determining the verdict? Why are we not tossing away the the gavels and just hearing, but making certain never to injure one another? Is it so difficult? Do I sound like I'm talking Woodstock? Is it so simple to differ and treat each other with kavod, respect? You know, the word kavod shares the same root as the word weight, W-E-I-G-H-D, weight. It has heft. Respect. It's not a feather blowing in the wind. Today's values. And correct me if I'm wrong. When I talk about the minion, I talk about a kahila, a community, a kahal. We're talking about those who stand up for one another. I'm going to talk about a little bit more about that. And I think there's something about the leftist vision. I hate this. Please forgive me. You know, don't get stuck on this. I mean, but it's, I have to use the, I have to use the language that I'm handed. And there's something about the left that sees themselves as the center of the universe, who see themselves as arbiters of good conduct, um, refinement, proper ethics, And those of us who live a more Torah-centric, or let me say a faith-based centric, a faith-in-heaven-centric, see themselves as part of this greater community. 
I don't have to struggle over it. I have a blueprint. If I have a question and I'm frightened and I don't know, I say, what would the Torah, what does the Torah say about this? And you know what? There may be 12 answers and it's still a Torah answer. It's not an end game. We're not done. Got it. Gavel down. Decided. We revisit it again. And we revisit it again. I believe that the left of Israel and the right of Israel view Israel and Israel's future very, very differently. And one of the things I said to one of my dear friends coming from a very leftist place overseas, and he said to me how terrified he can't stand it, and how could you know the Israeli right be so short-sighted, and what do I think? And he sees Israel tearing apart, and I mentioned this last week, and I wasn't being lazy when I said, the future of Israel is always rosy, because there's always God. It doesn't mean that we won't behave disgustingly, that we won't get it, that there won't be such terrible, terrible turmoil. But my faith is a Jewish Messiah. Jewish Messiah, we know what that sounds like. Let me, let me, let me backtrack. Is a Messiah, Moshiach-based faith. It is eyes towards heaven. It's looking upwards, not down. I see what happened as so sad, so time-wasting, so visceral, so superficial. And to be lectured to by America, please, please, don't do that. Don't do that. Humility is hard. It hurts. It leaves you Charlie horse. Um, we were going to do some woohoo moments, but I'd like to, I'd like to get on, you know, how can we waste the Pesach time? How can we, this upcoming, you know, again, the Torah, the portion, the Torah portions each week, I'm telling you, they actually have, have a direct line to the news events of the world. And again, I extrapolate, extrapolate, but this week, I'm not telling you the whole thing. Rabbi Sachs, Zatzal, Rabbi Sachs um, writes very, very long, very lofty pieces. So because I'm not so so uh, lofty, I always try to pull out that which speaks to my stomach and that which I think we share in common. And this week he asks something because people often write to me, Andrea, what do Jews believe about? And you fill in the blank. And just one thing really jumped out at me this week. He asks, and again, I'm going to, um, you know, um, I'm going, this, I'm losing the English. It's not being replaced by Hebrew. The, this is where the engineer comes in and usually tells me the word I want. I, uh, he's not my exact quotes, but he actually asks in layman's term, he says, what is sacrifice in Judaism? And why does sacrifice remain important? You know, we've discussed in other shows how we used to bring actual sacrifices, animal sacrifices, sacrifices of flour and oil to the Beis HaMikdash, to the Holy Temple, to the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the forest, in the forest, in the desert. And today we have prayer. We have to feel out. It's the only way that we can um, reenact sacrifice. But we need to give. We need to emulate God. We are made in his image. And so we need to, so the simplest answer is 
we love, what we are willing to make sacrifices for. Let's all take a moment and think about that. According to Rabbi Sachs, this is why um, Israel was a nation of farmer and shepherds. And what did they do? They demonstrated their love of Hashem by bringing him gifts, flocks, fruits, herb, uh, you know, herds, grains. What was it? It was their livelihood, what they were most grateful for. They sacrificed, they gave up because to love, to, to love is to thank, to love is to want to give, to love is to sacrifice. I love this line. Rabbi Sachs says, sacrifice is the choreography of love. And you know what? In a lot of aspects of life, this remains accurate. Um, you know, Rebetzin, Rebetzin, um, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm losing it. Rebison Samet, Yehudit Samet, in her book, um, uh, The Other Side of the Story, she says that, you know, what is love? Love is giving someone something. Love is giving to another that which they want for themselves. Meaning, it's not, I'm going to give you this diamond ring because I want you to have a diamond ring so the world sees that I gave you a diamond ring. If having a diamond ring is the most important thing, the question is, why do we want the diamond ring? Because I want to look as though I'm material material well materially wealthy is it because i want to look as though i'm loved whatever it is do i want respect do i want to be heard do i want family whatever it is to give to give to give that which another person wants for themselves not what you deem you should want would could would could should take it out of the vocabulary giving bonds us to one another Think about those demonstrations where we were not loving each other, not giving to each other, standing separate on opposite sides of the street, one screaming, you are ripping apart the nation, and the other one's praying to heaven in a prayer that is thousands and thousands of years old. Who are we to one another? That's why in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, sacrifice was so important in you know, um, when we say, oh, I, I said this before, when you love your, oh, when we say in the Shema Yisrael, we say, you know, um, uh, in English, you shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your might. What does that even mean? In other, you know, in other faiths, very often the idea behind sacrifice is fear, trepidation. Fear of retribution, anger, the power of gods. What will God do to us? Um, the rain God will withhold the rain. This God will hold this. Um, in Judaism, our connection to God is love, giving, giving, giving. Before I did the show this morning, I had this little blip in my brain, and I remembered somebody said something. And I remember each year on Tisha B'Av, when I go to sit with other Jews overlooking the old city walls, um, I think about how we are, we are reenacting prayers and yearning for a temple that was destroyed. And I remembered reading, and I said, I think it was Napoleon. So I started to Google Napoleon and the Jews. Let me help you with that. Don't Google. 
Napoleon and the Jews. I don't know if it was considered anti-Semitism. He was nobody of the Jews. I have to tell you, I'm terrible, terrible things. Repeated. Maybe he was the originator or the repeater of or a perpetuator of the most terrible, vile, anti-Semitic tropes. However, however, when he witnessed Jews, I can't remember where he was, but he witnessed Jews mourning Tisha B'Av. One of his remarks, and this was the remark that woke me up this morning, and I said, I have to find it, quote, a nation that cries and fasts for over 2,000 years for their land and temple will surely be rewarded with both. Why do I bring this up now? We're going to be sitting. Please, God. What is it, Wednesday night? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Wednesday night at the Seder. Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday. Right, it's a three-day Seder if you're not in Israel. And we're going to be commemorating the most astounding, superhuman, yes, both earthly, celestial, holy, profane, God-centered, human-focused event in human history after the creation of the world. And it was the liberation of the Jews from Egyptian bondage, bondage, a liberation and a freedom that has impacted the entire universe since the event. It is not something separate to the Jews, although it is indeed our story. And before I sink deeply into my text, I wrote myself a note to remind everybody, the meal is not the Seder. Seder means order. The Pesach Seder, the Passover table ceremony, is a ceremony from the opening of the Haggadah, which is the story, the legacy of who we are, until the end when we sing Hashanah, Baba Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. So if the meal is too long and the meal takes up too many political discussions and funny discussions and talks out of Hollywood and everything going and the children are falling asleep and remember the Seder, it's for the children. And then you say, you know what? We overdid it. Maybe tomorrow we'll finish it. It doesn't matter. We did the most important part. We can't finish the Seder. We have not then fulfilled the obligation of the Pesach night. For 20 years, I was a wife in an Afghani family, an Afghani Jewish family. And I tell you, it was the greatest, greatest lesson in how Seders should be conducted. We did the Seder. We read it was about the children. We did it very, you know, the Afikomen, the, the, the middle matzah. We hid, we tied it on a child. It doesn't matter what your custom is. We had a one dish dinner. Because we didn't want to go to sleep. It wasn't a competition. So many religious Jews and those of us listening in are laughing. Those listening in from Renana and Nahariya and Herzliya are listening in and saying, I know what you're saying. My Seder ended at 2 a.m. We went till 1.30. We went to 3. It's not a contest. 
in my Afghani family. And to this day, we do the same thing. We had a one dish dinner. The meal, we washed. We said hamotzi, the blessing over the matzah. We ate the meal. We said the birkat hamazon, the prayer after the meal. And we continued the Seder. Because we had religious work to do. And the meal itself gave us the strength to continue. I'm just telling you, no, it doesn't have to be soup and gefilte fish and all kinds of side dishes and all kinds of this. And then you got to have the kugel and the meat. There's got to be a poultry and a meat. <laughs> no, you know. Okay. Although I have to be careful. I'm not making my own Seder this year. I will be at a very sumptuous American table. So I will do what they do. But I'm going to be secretly whispering this speech to myself. Okay. We Yidden, we Jews, we are compared to the dove. Why are we compared to the dove? Because just like the wings of a dove protect her from the cold, from other birds, predatory birds, and even people, because she can take off, our mitzvot, our commandments, protect us. When we go to synagogue this Shabbos, on this Sabbath, um, I have frequently seen, and it was it was interesting, sometimes when people come to shul late, and I see they stand in the back of the synagogue, and they will daven, they will pray to catch up in the prayer. And I didn't understand why they were standing in the back, and why they weren't standing in the front during the Torah reading. Just stand up, nobody cares, we're listening to our Torah, you're not bothering us. And I don't know where I got this from, but um, I came across a lovely discussion. It says, you know, the Torah is compared to God speaking to man. While tefillah, prayer, embodies the concept of man speaking to God. Think about the yelling at one another across the streets this week. During the reading of the Torah, God is speaking to us. We shouldn't be praying or speaking to him. Two voices. Neither party can understand the other one if both are talking at the same time. Derech Eretz, decency, respectful modes of behavior demand that while one party speaks, the other party listens attentively to what the speaker has to say. Um, yeah, so another thing woke me up during the week, and it was crazy because I read it last Shabbos, but it stayed with me and was one of the things that grounded me because during this week of demonstrations and unbridled rage and serious, it was almost, and take issue with me, I kept thinking about the eagle has a half, the golden calf, and how it must have been some people started to dance and the dancing looked fun. And some of the people dancing were very respected members of the community. And so people said, well, you know, if she's dancing, if he's dancing, it must be something worth dancing for. And they came in and they danced and more danced. And around this golden calf, the idol, they danced, they danced until they, it became a dot, a religion of its own. They couldn't hear the sounds coming from heaven. And I was thinking about, there's not so much to worry about. Because last week I read in a column by Rabbi Weinreb, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his first name, and I can't remember where I read it. But he talked about um, 
the book of Kohelet, um, Ecclesiastes, I think is how they say it. And it says, what is occurring now occurred long since, and what is to occur occurred long since, and God seeks the pursued. And in this verse, what is King Solomon saying? He's saying that history is cyclical. Today's events and future events have their precedence in the past. Nothing new happened this week to my friend who called me so frightened from South Africa two weeks ago on a Motsi Shabbos. What's happening? I see the end. It's the destruction. It's failing. It's falling. It's all been done before. It's all been said before. There's a repetitive narrative. It's consistent. And either happily or sadly, you decide it's predictable. God seeks the pursued. God is on the side of history's victims. And ultimately, it's them who will prevail. <sighs> okay. I'm just looking here where I want to show. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're sitting around the table, and I told you before, for some people, this is a little shocking. For those who are going to be doing Pesach for the first time, um, they may be surprised to think, well, it's for the children. The children have done artwork in their schools. The children have heard stories. I know that this year, once again, my nephew Adam is going to dress up <laughs> in the middle of the Seder because he's got young children around the table. He's going to walk out of the Seder table and nobody's going to notice him leaving because it's such a big table. And he's going to walk out and he's going to come dressed back in his Egyptian slave master outfit. And he's going to start hitting everybody over the head and saying, you Jews work harder. You Jews can't have Sabbath. And the children will giggle and the children will laugh. And my daughter Talia, when they recite the, when they recite the plagues and they come to the plague of Barad hailstones, suddenly she will pull a cord by the chandelier and ping pong balls will rain upon the table. And my other daughter, Gabrielle, will have four of her blessed nine children come out. One will be wearing thick poindexter glasses and he will be the smart son. And one will be wearing a blonde wig as the ditzy, you know, not so smart child. And one will come out wearing a leather jacket with a fake cigarette in his mouth as the evil son. And they will bring it alive and bring it real. We don't do the orange on the Seder plate. Our job is to create memories, pass on memories, share memories, so that one day our children and grandchildren will say, you know, in our Passover, my grandma used to fill in the blank. The most beautiful Pesach Haggadot, the Passover prayer books, are the ones that are stained with wine and have little lumps of dried charoset on them. I, I don't think there's an English word for charoses. It's the mixture that every every community has its own combination recipe. It represents the mortar that we use to put together the sphinx and the pyramids and build the storehouses, the bricks. It's about the children. It's about passing on memories. I want to talk to the women because last time I looked, I was one. Our sages tell us, Chazal, we, redeemed, we were redeemed from Egypt 
because of the women. And one of the reasons I bring this in is I live in Eretz Israel and we have one Seder. And we always laugh. We always say two Seders, two Seders. And this year you have a three-day yunt if you have Wednesday night Seder, Thursday night Seder, and then Friday night Shabbos. You go right into it. And we say that's your punishment for living in the Galut. But to my Israeli friends aside, I'd like to suggest there's something so lovely, so intrinsically beautiful about that second Seder. And I've heard it referred to as the woman's Seder. Because somehow life passes so fast. And in our one Seder in Israel, we get that one Seder. And it's so important. And it's such a milestone in our year. And we women in Israel are just as tired, perhaps religiously tired, happily tired, but not always, when we sit at the Seder. And that second Seder, we've had a chance to rest a little bit. And really, as a gift, hear what we may not have taken in the night before. So the men in Egypt who were enslaved, their morale was terribly low. Indeed, we know they didn't even want to engage in marital relations, not to, not to reproduce and have their children either be born into slavery or killed. Paro, uh, pa- Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you said Pharaoh, right? Um, said, you know, the children, the, the, gave the midwives explicit instructions to kill the main children. And the Jewish men were just distraught about this. But it was the women who had a different attitude. They didn't think like those on Israelis left, that they were front and center of the world and it all hinged. They raised their eyes to heaven and they said, I am not willing to surrender to any man's decree. They refused to succumb to the whim of a mere mortal who at best would live a couple of decades more. They enticed their husbands. They used their natural feminine charms. And they continued to give birth to holy children. Many were killed. I don't think the Torah expounds on that very much. But Chazal talks about it. Many escaped. But the tenacity and the determination of the Jewish women is why we will sit around that Seder table this coming Wednesday night. That's why it's centered on the children. Children do not annoy the Seder. Bring them in. One other thing I want to talk about before we conclude today's program. They talk about the four sons, the four Pesach sons. There's the, 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 the wise son, the wise one who's sitting in yeshiva and learning all day. That's always the wise son. Um, goes on to medical school and gets his rabbinate, you know, rabbinical degree. We know him. Then there's the, the not wise son. There's the one who doesn't know how to ask a question. And then there's the, we say the evil son. Let me share something with you. The evil son gets a very bad rap. There are some scholars who say that it's not four separate individuals with whom do I identify? Well, I identify as the modest one who's learning more. I identify as the brainy one. I'm the brainiac. Gee, I'm a bum. My parents aren't proud of me. No. There are some scholars who say we are all of them. Every Jew is part and parcel 
of the entire nation. There are times we are loftier. There are times where we are baser. There are times where we don't know what's flying and the other times where we beg to become part of a kahila. But let me tell you who we must agonize over this year. And that is the fifth son. The fifth son. That is the son who is not there, who is not present. We can't find him. He's in a pub somewhere. He's somewhere gone. He says, yeah, I used to be part of those people. Not for me. Not for those, not to be with those primitives. Find him. Bring him home. Make sure there's a seat at the table. And if at that last moment there's a phone call, a WhatsApp, an SMS, there's a guy in our neighborhood. He's not religious. There's a woman, two children. She has nowhere to be. She just found out. She's, she's barely religious. She doesn't know anything. She found out she's Jewish, but she doesn't know. There's room at the table. If you have 16 seats, make it 17. If you have four seats, make it five. There's no reason that not everybody, not every Jew should be connected and somehow finding a seat at the table. I had so much more to share, but I want to just finish up with this. I want to reflect certainly on this Shabbos and on life in general. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, and I'm going to talk about this on Shabbos, and I hope you will too. He comments on this week's portion. It says, an earthenware vessel, think about a pot that they find on an archaeological dig. It could become very unclean, but only on the inside, never on the outside, because it really has very little value monetary value, the sole worth of this vessel lies in the fact that it can serve as a receptacle for an object of value. Metal utensils, on the other hand, they have value in themselves and they can become unclean on the outside also. Man, that's you, that's me. That's as we sit and we look at that lowly plate of matzah we recognize that being made of dust, we are an earthenware vessel. Our worth lies not in our outer shell, but on the human qualities within. I ask all of us to have a Chag, Pesach, Kasher, Sameach, and let's celebrate all that we have and all that we are. Shabbat Shalom. you get the inside news on Israel. At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Garst from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 